We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. And right now, if you do so, you've got all of the week one NFL lines up. Oh, it looks beautiful. Washington, a five and a half point favorite at my bookie over Arizona in the season opener on September 10th. My bookie will also allow you, if you use my promo code KevinDC, to cash in and cash out quickly. Uh, that means that once you make your deposit, all you have to do is wager that deposit amount one time and you're eligible to cash out. The first game of the year, right now, Kansas City minus seven, seven-point favorites over Detroit in the opener. The Monday night opener, which features Buffalo and the New York Jets led by Aaron Rodgers. That number right now, minus one and a half. Buffalo, a one and a half point favorite at MetLife in the Meadowlands in week one. Uh, man, it's nice to see week one lines up uh, for the NFL. MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.com for everything you need uh, when it comes to gambling. And if you listen to the podcast yesterday, I gave you two winners. I gave you Boston. That one wasn't easy. And I gave you Denver. Um, loved both of them. I do not like a game tonight. Uh, if I had to lean, I'd lean Knicks plus the five and a half. But I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going to play either uh, game tonight. Looking forward to very much the Lakers Warriors late night uh, tonight. Man, Nikola Jokic last night uh, averaged averaged a triple double in the series win over Phoenix. Uh, later on in the show, Jimmy Patsos will be my guest. Uh, I don't know what we'll talk about with Jimmy. Um, you just never know uh, with him. Uh, before we get to that, though, there is some breaking news related to Dan Snyder and the sale of the Commanders. Just up on ESPN, a story by Don Van Natta Jr. and Seth Wickersham. They've written a lot, and they are uh, what you would call the top of the heap when it comes to investigative reporters. So the title of this story is Sources, Dan Snyder Seeks to Limit Release of Inquiry Report. Well, of course, we know that to be the Mary Jo White report. Here's the story from Van Natta and Wickersham. Dan Snyder and his lawyers are lobbying the NFL to limit the release of attorney Mary Jo White's report 
into sexual misconduct allegations and financial improprieties against the embattled Washington commander's owner, sources tell ESPN. While there are ongoing questions about legal indemnification for Snyder and procedural hurdles around vetting the bidding group led by Philadelphia 76ers co-owner Josh Harris, the contents of White's report and whether it's released in its entirety and when are among the final major stumbling blocks to a sale of the team for $6.05 billion, the sources said. Snyder's main leverage is time to try to drag out the process, sources said. It's the remaining issue a source close to Snyder told ESPN. Then a commander spokesperson called this report, quote, completely uh, false, Uh, completely false and a blatant fabrication by someone with no actual knowledge of this matter, closed quote. More from the Van Natta Jr. and Seth Wickersham story. A source with firsthand knowledge of White's inquiry told ESPN that it appears her work is all but done, and in the past several weeks, White has conducted the final round of interviews with key witnesses. As a result, conversations between Snyder's lawyers and league lawyers and executives over the release of her investigation's findings have intensified. So remember, Mary Jo White is investigating the Tiffany Johnston allegations that Dan Snyder put his hand under a table at a dinner on her thigh and then tried to push her or shove her into his vehicle um, on the same night. Uh, Once that allegation came out, immediately the Washington football team at the time offered to handle the investigation and promised that the results and the findings would be made public and that they would be totally transparent. Uh, Snyder wanted to handle this one himself because he professed his innocence. Uh, Also, I mean, as we've talked with Howard Gutman and Neil and Rockville many times in the past, pretty hard allegation to prove. Well, once the uh, House Oversight and Reform Committee got into their investigation and interviewed Jason Friedman. Then came the allegations of financial improprieties, which then also Mary Jo White started to investigate. Um, now, more from this story. Sources both close to Snyder and in league circles expressed skepticism that Snyder would be able to use his objections to the report's release to hold up the sale of the team to the Harris Group. But one owner told ESPN that Snyder, quote, won't go away without a fight, closed quote. Um, Another source said Snyder's only leverage is to threaten his fellow owners that he won't sell the team unless the white report is killed, an option this person said he doesn't have. He isn't holding any cards, and I don't see how the league doesn't release the report. Now, as we also know, Snyder has refused to be interviewed by Mary Jo White for this particular report. So as it relates to the, you know, he said, she said allegations of Tiffany Johnston, I don't know how Mary Jo White will come to a conclusion without, you know, a major conclusion or a definitive conclusion without interviewing one of the two people 
that were there. And as Neil and Rockville and Howard have uh, both told us recently, at this point, given that he's selling the team, it doesn't make any sense for him, actually, to sit in front of Mary Jo White and potentially incriminate himself. He's not going to uh, actually meet with her. So that part of her investigation will be missing. Um, Anyway, uh, there are a few more quotes in this story worth reading. A source close to Snyder said, um, this is a source close to Snyder said, his odds of burying the report are the same as his odds of trading for Patrick Mahomes. He can try to not sell the team, but that isn't a real option, closed quote. So, now we know, you know, at least based on this reporting, that part of the holdup or part of the awkward, atypical, unusual process in the sale of this team isn't just the Harris structure of the bid, isn't just Snyder's requests for indemnification, but it may also involve Snyder trying to limit somehow the release of the Mary Jo White report. I don't know how the commissioner, who as recently as those last league meetings in Arizona, promised once again that the Mary Jo White investigation, when completed, would be released in its entirety. I don't know how they get away with not releasing it. Now, um, there's a quote in here from the... uh, the lawyer Lisa Banks representing a lot of the, um, you know, the uh, employees that were part of the toxic workplace culture, and she said, "quote If the findings that are released are the complete findings drafted by Mary Jo White and not the league, that's one thing. But if what we see is a truncated, watered down version of the findings drafted by the league, similar to what we saw with the Beth Wilkinson report." We have a big problem, closed quote. So there you go. Uh, You know, this in combination with the reporting by Maskey and Nikki Jabala the other day and the reporting uh, by Dan Kaplan in The Athletic, you know, this, nobody has outright said that the deal is in trouble. And in fact, almost all of these reports have indicated that the expectation is the deal will go through and it'll close. But it is not a smooth process, and there's a lot here. And obviously, Dan, as I mentioned two weeks ago, would love to take a pound of flesh on his way out. You know, he thinks he's got some leverage here because, let's face it, the league wants him out. The league basically would probably avoid selling this team to Josh Harris based on the way the deal is structured. That's what Dan Kaplan from The Athletic told me on radio earlier this week. I asked him, would this particular buyer and this particular bid uh, actually be considered for any other team other than Washington? And he said, no, the structure wouldn't be accepted. But they want Dan out so badly that they're willing to deal with the structure of this Josh Harris bid. Um, And this is what I'm sure Snyder believes gives him some leverage on the way out. But a a source close to Snyder said, you know, the odds of him burying this report are the same as his odds of trading for Patrick Mahomes, which, you know, are not very good, clearly. All right. Uh, The schedule, it's now out, complete, official, and... Guess what? 
I got three right on my mock schedule. I got Arizona right, which I talked about yesterday, the season opener. I got Philadelphia on October 29th at home right, and I got at Seattle on November 12th uh, correct. Um, I had this um, tweet that I wanted to read. Uh, This tweet came from Charles. Give it up, Kevin. Your mock draft was a joke. Three out of 17 right. Um, And then Jerry texted me, um, uh, someone that I know, and said, Kevin, excellent work on the mock draft. By my count, three. Is that your best? Um, Charles, please, dude. Three out of 17 is incredible. For me, anyway. Best I've ever done is four, but I've never even done three. And I've only done two a couple of times. Usually it's either zero or one. So getting three right was pretty good. And I got the season finale opponent, Dallas, correct. I just had the location wrong. And I was within a week of having Denver and Chicago right. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, so their schedule uh, is out. There are a couple of things about the schedule, Washington's schedule, that I wanted to mention. Um, Just a couple of uh, nuggets, um, as Tommy and I were talking about the other day. Uh, First of all, schedules are, you know, most of you know how I feel about schedules. I just think they're impossible to look at and predict. And number one reason is injuries. I mean, we do this every year, and I'm even going to go through my, you know, one loss, one loss thing here, even though I haven't done it in a few years. But several of you have asked, just do it so we can get an early feel for what you think about the team. So I will do that here momentarily. But predicting the strength of schedule is impossible because you can't predict the number one or certainly one of the top two or three determinants of a final record, and that is, you know, health, injuries. Uh, Impossible to predict. Um, But a couple of things about the schedule. They give Washington, at least on paper, like they did last year with Jacksonville and Detroit, a chance to avoid a bad start. They've got Arizona at home. Arizona's predicted to be one of the worst teams in the league. And then they're at Denver. That's Sean Payton in year one with Russell Wilson. The Broncos have two home games to open up the year against the Raiders and then against Washington. But, you know, like last year, you got a chance to go one and one here, you know, and maybe a better chance of going two and oh than oh and two. Um, Then it gets rough with the Bills and the Eagles in back-to-back games. But the first six games overall are games in which against the Cardinals, Broncos, Bills, Eagles, Bears, Falcons are games that at least now, the way they look, you could come out of that three and three and avoid the disastrous start that, that you've had the last three years, really the last four if you count Gruden's final year. And then, you know, maybe... That Falcon game in week six is kind of a pivotal game because if you're sitting there, let's just say at two and three, and you've got a chance to get to 500, then that Atlanta game becomes a crucial game. Um, the, the, the stretch after the Falcons game, Giants, Eagles, and then at Patriots, at Seahawks, road games against a playoff team from last year, um, and then a team that is supposed to finish last in their division, New England. But still, it's a road game. Then you get Giants, Cowboys, Dolphins, uh, Rams, Jets, 49ers, Cowboys. I mean, that's a rough, you know, stretch, again, as it appears now. A couple of other things from the schedule. They get uh, Philadelphia um, in week four, 
up at the link after Philadelphia has a short week. Washington, by the way, doesn't play anybody off of a bye week this year. That's happened uh, several times over the last few years. Um, Philadelphia comes in short week uh, into that week four um, game. Uh, you know, both Miami and Washington um, have, you know, Washington has this stretch of schedule where they play on Thanksgiving, uh, November 23rd. Then they don't have a game until the following Sunday against Miami on December 3rd. So you get that mini buy and then they get their actual buy on December 10th. So they're actually after the Dallas game, they're only going to play one game over a 24 day span. And that's the Dolphins on December 3rd. By the way, going into that Dolphins game, Washington off the Thanksgiving Day game, the Dolphins off of their Black Friday game. So both teams will have plenty of rest heading into that game. The San Francisco game at the end of the year on New Year's Eve is an interesting game because the 49ers have a Christmas night game earlier that week, you know, in essence, a Monday night football game against the Ravens at home, and then they've got to travel all the way to Washington for a 1 o'clock Sunday game on New Year's Eve. Now, that game, you know, those games get flexed a lot, either into late windows or into Sunday night. Now, I'm not suggesting Washington's going to be in a Sunday night situation there. Um, But, you know, Washington plays Christmas Eve against the Jets. The 49ers play Christmas night. Monday night against the Ravens and then have to come east for a 1 o'clock game. Uh, That would seem to favor Washington. Uh, Dallas plays December 30th, a Saturday before finishing against Washington uh, at at FedEx Field, so they get one day extra rest there. Um, Overall, though, I don't know. I, I think that it looks like a tougher schedule than the one that they had last year going into it. Doesn't mean that it will be. Um, they have better quarterbacks on the schedule this year. Russell Wilson with Sean Payton, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts twice, uh, you know, Daniel Jones twice, who's had his best games against Washington, Geno Smith, Dak Prescott twice, Tua, maybe Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers. Who knows who's quarterbacking for the 49ers but, uh, when you get there. Um, but last year, you know, it set up a little bit easier in terms of the quarterbacks they were facing. Nothing compares to 2021 when they just had murderers row in terms of quarterbacks uh, on their schedule. You know, opening with Justin Herbert, then they had Josh Allen, then they had um, Mahomes and Rodgers and Wilson. Um, uh, not Wilson. Uh, yeah. No, not Wilson. Um, it was just um, it was that stretch of having Rodgers uh, and Mahomes and Brady three three uh, games out of four, and then they had Wilson with Seattle coming to town. That was a brutal quarterback schedule. But in terms of looking at it and having fun with it, I'll go win over Arizona, loss against Denver, loss against Buffalo, loss against Philadelphia. A one and three start. Uh, then I'll go win over Chicago, win over Atlanta to get to three and three. Then a loss in the Meadowlands against the Giants, a loss against Philly at home, three and five, but a win at New England, four and five. A loss at Seattle, four and six. A win against the Giants at home, five and six, going into Thanksgiving Day. And really, 
every year with this franchise over the years, I've just looked at getting to Thanksgiving weekend, and in this case, another Thanksgiving Day matchup, uh, the fifth in 11 seasons with the Cowboys, somewhere near contention. And five and six would be somewhere near contention. I have them losing to Dallas to drop to five and seven, beating Miami and beating the Rams. Who knows what the Rams will look like to get to seven and seven. And that would be four years of Ron Rivera and heading into the final three games in contention for a wild card berth in the first year for a division. Uh, I've got them losing to the Jets, losing to the 49ers, and then beating the Cowboys in a meaningless game to finish eight and nine. There you go. That's it on the schedule. (laughs) Um, The NFL schedule overall uh, features a couple of things that are interesting for Washington. In the division, the Giants have a brutal start with respect to road games to start the year. They've got four road games in their first six games. They've got seven road games in their first 11 games. Uh, they have a stretch of they have tw- they have uh, week two week three they play at Arizona at San Francisco week five week six they play at Miami at Buffalo wow and then week nine through eleven they play at Vegas at Dallas and at Washington now that sets up for a lot of home games to finish the year but how about you know uh, seven out of their first eleven games seven out of their first eleven on the road four out of their first six on the road. So the Giants, I actually think, could be an improved team. uh, But that is a brutal way, at least on paper, to start. I mean, those road games are San Francisco, Miami, Buffalo, Dallas, the Raiders. They have Arizona and Washington on the road as part of that group. Uh, But then their home games, by the way, are the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and they've got the Jets which is a home game technically for them, even though the Jets will be playing in their home stadium. So that stuck out to me a little bit. Uh, If you're a Giant fan, uh, you're probably looking at that saying, that's a brutal start uh, to a schedule. A couple of other things real quickly. Washington got one primetime game, and the rest of the NFC East got a slew of primetime games. The Cowboys and the Eagles each have six. The Giants have five. And I just think it's odd that, you know, given how many primetime games the other three teams in the division will be playing, that none of them will be against Washington. Washington's only primetime game uh, coming against Chicago. Uh, you would have thought that, I mean, they do have Cowboys, you know, Washington on Thanksgiving Day, but you would have thought, you know, like last year, Philly played Washington on a Monday night, that one of the games for Philly or the Giants in primetime would have been against uh, Washington. But it kind of goes to show you how irrelevant Washington is in the eyes of league execs and television uh, execs. They're just not a needle mover at all. Um, and, you know, it's not like they're a terrible team. They were close to making the playoffs last year. And, you know, they got flexed into a spot late in the season, and they could get flexed this year uh, into some spots. I mean, by the way, look at what Aaron Rodgers did with the Jets. Almost every single Jet game is basically in prime time or in a major doubleheader, you know, spot. Uh, remember, I, I think um, – Several months ago, I made the case that if you traded for Aaron Rodgers, you might actually increase the value of the franchise if you're Dan Snyder. 
I mean, the the profile of the Jets has completely changed with Aaron Rodgers uh, as the quarterback. Hell, Green Bay, by the way, with Jordan Love got five primetime games. Washington got one. Uh, I think there were a couple of teams that got zero. But anyway, that's it for schedule talk. Um, And latest on the sale uh, talk. Up next, Jimmy Patsos will jump on with me right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, jumping on with us is one of my favorite people to have a conversation with and one of your favorites as well. Jimmy Patsos is with us. You can follow Jimmy on Twitter at Coach Patsos. He does great work for NBC Sports Washington covering the Wizards. We're going to talk some NBA. Um, are you, You're not into the NFL schedule, are you? I am for the Ravens. We don't have a home game in October, but before I go any further... I'm in lovely DuPont Circle. I'm in D.C. Yeah. Jamie, my lovely hair cutter from Salon Cieo, who calls into you guys and gets mad. You guys, you ask for call-in people, but then you don't take the callers. He was just saying, I love Kevin Sheehan, but sometimes I call in. And why do they tell us to call in when they don't pick it up? I said, I don't know. He's just my friend, and I'm here to get my hair cut in DuPont. But as we know, everyone has an opinion, so I figured I'd share it. Well, I... I'm sure there are there are, there definitely is there are times which we can't get to all the calls, you know. But right. but I don't ask for calls and then not take calls. I don't do that. All right, so well, I defended you. He was he was actually more <laughs> critical of some other people in the area, especially some weekend people who will remain nameless. Well, but yeah. he's a big fan of yours, so I'm giving him a shout out. He's going to listen. Huge NBA guy, but no, I think the NFL schedule. It's an exciting thing to be released. Now, I'm a New York Post reader, which means you get the Jets-Giants, you know, the Giants-Card, nah, Cowboys to start. But right away, the, the Ravens have five games on the road. I know one of them's in London, but that doesn't seem very fair to me. I'm looking at their schedule right now. Yeah, if you count the London game, then four of their first six are away from home. Here's the other thing that's very noticeable about the Ravens' schedule. Their first five games are 1 o'clock games. There's no primetime game like with, with until you get to later in the season, and then they've got four of them in like a five- or six-week period. Actually, four of them in a five-game span are scheduled for prime time. That's a hell of a lot over a short period of time. No, it's kind of a different thing. But I, I always felt Baltimore was a great one o'clock town. We have a downtown, a re- downtown stadium. I get to get up. We go down to the games. 
I like the, you know, 11 o'clock, maybe a Bloody Mary, maybe, maybe a little hot dog, kick off at one. And then I love going home and watching the rest of the day, knowing we won or that we went to the game. I'm a huge one o'clock guy on a Sunday. I love but that's I'm old school. I, I love one o'clocks too. Now, when I, there was a time when, you know, my team was really good. It was great. There was a different atmosphere, a different electricity for a night game or for, you know, a big time four o'clock window game, you know, against the Cowboys or the Giants. You know, when I'm talking about when the Redskins well, were great. No, no, stay right there. I'm friends with Parcells. He talks about RFK lit up at night and seeing the monuments in the way and, 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 you know, the state capitol. What a big deal it was. And Dan Henning was on the Redskins staff, and they were best friends, and they wouldn't talk that weekend. He talked about the Monday night. Of course, that's when guys went off in the hurt. But he talked about the night games at RFK often as one of his favorite night venues was RFK. Very interesting, right? Like, not the Eagles, not Cowboys. He said RFK was the best night venue just because, you know, the view, it was in the city. By the way, those were big games against Joe Gibbs' team, but... I will tell you this, Kevin, those one o'clock Sundays, getting down there with Johnny Williams and the boys or whoever we were, or all running around with, with Johnny Gardner and everybody <laughs> going down to those games. The best, the best was if the Redskins won, how we bopped our way back to the tune in to Jenkins in, Jenkins Hills and back to the Dubliner, you knew you made it, you know, and I yeah. figured or, it out from there. But or Tiber, or Tiber Creek Sunday next afternoon. door. Tiber Creek, but that was part of the adventure was bopping your yeah. way back, you know? Well, so first of all, um, y- you know, you've said a couple of things here. You've never told me that you're good friends with Bill Parcells. I I consider him a friend. I would I wish I was better friends with him, but yes, he mentored me up in Siena. He was a big Saratoga track guy. Remember, I lived in Saratoga for 18 months, right. two track seasons. But, but also... Um, Hold on, I'm helping someone on the bus station here right now. See, I'm doing so many things. This guy has to go to Wheaton. I would take the train. But anyway, see, we're helping everybody. Yeah. I mean, you probably got to... You... Parcells, Parcells is one of the great coaches' coaches. I played golf with Brandon Hyde yesterday. Met him for the first time. Wonderful guy. Who? Okay. Well, Brandon Hyde, the manager of the Orioles. Oh, okay. Got it. Grinder, he works with Joe Madden. But his point was he met Parcells in Jupiter because... Parcells goes around and wants to meet coaches. Parcells is friends with Tony LaRusso. Parcells has his own coaching tree in football, but he's a coach's coach. He'll tell you, you know, success is never permanent. Failure can be. Do something was always the first thing he put up in any locker room he came into. Do something. Because what you've been doing wasn't enough. But, like, Parcells is very, very interesting guy. But Dan Henning's his best friend. They play golf together. Then you have bring somebody and play against them. That's how it worked for 30 years with them. Parcells and Henning would play against, you know, other people. Well, Henning was the coordinator here. He tells the rigged story. I'm, I'm back. I'm broke. You yeah. know, that what yeah. all that stuff. Board, board. board back and broke. Yeah. After he sat out in 1980. Right. So, yeah. Right. So this is like Parcells and Henning are like a team. And Henning is sort of the protector. But Dan Henning, great coach, you know, NFL coach for the Falcons and the Chargers, you know, head coach at Boston College. Oh, yeah. But when you meet these guys, they want to talk about recruiting, and you mentioned Lubbock, Texas, and they'll tell you about this, you know, barbecue place. But these guys were road warriors, and then Parcells becomes, you know, nemesis number one is Dan Henning and Gibbs at the time, and 
But they, that's why I get all the stories about RFK and how he would walk through and Parcells would just put his, he wouldn't talk to Henning that week. And, but he loved playing here. But Parcells, you know, Bobby Knight's guy, Coach Chase's guy, all these guys are trying to help him learn about coaching and recruiting. And on the other hand, he helped them a lot. He would go bird dog and all that stuff. Well, you know, as a Washington, you know, fan for a lifetime, Parcells of our rivals was always my favorite. Like, I, I, I consider Parcells to be one of the greatest coaches of all time. I would still take Gibbs ahead of Parcells, but it's close. And, you know, Parcells was the one coach that Gibbs, I think, had a losing record against. Um, it's, I, it's getting I it's, Coach it, Parcells, it, and he will tell me right now. I will text him, and he will tell me. Parcells versus Gibbs. I want to look up the actual record here because I'm pretty sure Parcells owns a head-to-head um, against uh, against Gibbs, and it's pretty much the only um, guy that he. Uh, hold on, I'm going to tell you six and ten. Gibbs was six and ten against Parcells. Uh, the only coach that Gibbs has a uh, – well, I mean, he faced Coughlin once. He was 0-1 against Coughlin. But it's the only coach he's got a losing record against. Uh, that's not true. He's 1-3 against Shula, too. Um, whatever. Uh, I'm seeing the, the longer list now. But uh, Parcells was one of my favorites. And Parcells, to your point, you know, if you go back and you watch some of the games on YouTube, some of those big redskin giant games from the 80s and 90s, the, the, the RFK environment for the Giants, like it was for the Cowboys, like it was for the Eagles, was number one. In that division, the toughest road environment was RFK, and everybody on the other three teams would tell you that. And Parcells would say it, Sims would say it, LT would say it, about how you know there was no better feeling than coming into RFK and, and, and silencing the fans if you were able to win or get a lead. And... Um, God, I'll, I'll never forget. There was a Monday night game. No, and, and uh, think about think about what he said. I mean, he's talking about a place over near Benning Heights and Fairfax Village, and not a much around it, but becoming the toughest place to play. Now, I want to I want to stay right there, Kevin. Brandon Hyde and I were talking yesterday. My first time meeting. He's a grinder, but he learned a lot from Joe Madden. <laughs> he played at Long Beach State as a catcher. A lot of coaches are catcher, like Mike Coach, et cetera. Really good guy. He's had a winning record last year. Now he's got the Orioles really moving. But he talked about that's the toughest division in sports right now. In all of sports, the toughest division. AL East. Yankees, Orioles, yeah. Blue Jays, Tampa, and of course the Boston Red Sox. But what you're talking about is I believe at that era that that was the toughest division oh, in sports. Oh, no doubt. Was the Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, Redskins. That's tough when, that's, when you're in those divisions. No doubt. And and every game, I mean, you had years where, you know, because the division back then included the Cardinals, too. I mean, it was a five-team division. In the oh, Co- I didn't know that. Yeah. Highest marks. Good to you. I didn't know that. Yeah, the Cardinals were part of it. But, you know, the Giants came into RFK and won some big games, and that just didn't happen. But they were the ones that were able to do it. They won the year they won the Super Bowl. You know, their first Super Bowl, um, you know, the 86 season was uh, a late season game for essentially the NFC East title and the number one overall seed. And they came into RFK and they thumped the skins. 
Uh, and it was, you know, an unbelievable environment, but they had, you know, Sims and Joe Morris and of course LT. Um, and they were really yeah, good. And one of his, one of his, one of his clients, Davis is Otis Anderson, big back sure. from Miami. He yeah. Helped him to Anderson, right? Yeah. He came a little bit later for the giants and he was a big part of that Super Bowl that Hostetler won when they beat Buffalo. You know, in, in, in the 90 team. Which is also one of off the record, one of Parcells' favorite cities. He, he got to tell Phil Sims, I want to I want you may, to you're, you're gonna have to. You're going to have to hold on. we got sirens going on, so we can't hear you. So the sirens hey, are gone now. Hey, Circle. I was just at GW with Caputo. We're switching gears back to D.C. in basketball. We'll do the NBA, but that's great stuff. But anybody who wants to coach at any level needs to read the last chapter of Bill Parcells' book. It's about... Some coaches win and get fired. Some coaches lose and don't get fired. Like, literally, the president must be going by. There is a huge. This is why DC is the best city in the world. You see, like, this is this is really going by. Like the motorcade. It's just so fascinating here. I love being down here. Right. I live in Baltimore, but I also spend a lot of time in DC. I just the energy here today. Whether it was at Chris Caputo's coming here, getting my hair cut, I'm gonna go see Danielle at the Palm. It's so great. <laughs> This whole town, and now the Redskins are back, or the Commanders. I'm sorry, which is going to be important to your town. And we're excited about what's going to happen. In the, in the, you know, we find out Tuesday about the lottery, which the Wizards actually have a pretty good chance. And Ovechkin was out there taking BP. Brandon Hyde talked about what a thrill it was meeting Ovechkin because he's out there taking some BP at the Nationals. It's crazy because when you were here, there was a one horse town. It was it was the Washington Redskins. The other guys were out in the suburbs, and there was no baseball team. So you've seen the ball, and it's really interesting to watch. But I will tell you this, Parcel, he likes coaching, but he's got this whole mantra. Like like I said, you can win and not get fired. You can lose and not get fired. You can do this. You, you know, sometimes things off. But like, it's a very tricky profession. And I will say this about Parcells over Gibbs. He went to New England and won when they had those metal bleachers in Schaefer Stadium. Yeah. And then he's, he's an inch away. He's Tony Romo dropping that snap from beating Seattle, going to the championship game against Chicago to go to the Super Bowl. Like, he's done it at a few places where Gibbs just did it at one. Nothing wrong with that, but you got to give Parcells credit. And he stood up to Kraft, and he's, he's had a probably more colorful career than Gibbs, I would say. Fair? Yeah, but, but Gibbs is going to go down as the greater coach. Gibbs, even, so? even, yes, definitely. Gibbs won three Super Bowls, Jimmy, with three different quarterbacks. Nobody's ever done that. He won, he, he, he essentially had three completely different teams. The only constant were the Hogs, and even those changed significantly from the first Super Bowl through the third Super Bowl. They went to four Super Bowls. He won three of them with three different quarterbacks. I think that who will. Who was the who was the who was the loss to Denver? No, I'm sorry. The Josh, Who was the loss to? Who was the loss? Who did he lose the Super Bowl to? Uh, you're 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 kind of breaking up, so I missed the sorry. question. Who was who, who did who did the, who did Gibbs lose the Super Bowl to? They lost who to the Raiders. The they lost to the Raiders in Super Bowl yeah. 18. They, it was there. Got it. Okay. The, the the interesting thing is is that may have been his best, other than the '91 team, his best regular season team and his best offense. They were unstoppable. They set the mark for points uh, that particular year, fourteen and two. They lost in eight in eighty. 
Um, in that season in 83, Jimmy, they lost two regular season games by two total points. They lost by a point to the Cowboys on Monday Night Football, and they lost, at the time, the highest-scoring Monday Night Football game in history at Lambeau to the Packers, 48-47. Mosley missed a 35-yard field goal at the gun. They would have won the game 50-48. to But anyway, um, no, I think most— I love this stuff. Man, you are quite a whiz, brother. I love that. You are quite— I think most NFL historians would would pick Gibbs over Parcells. I do, but it's but Parcells is up there in the conversation. My God, I mean, we got a lot of shit going on down there. Can you can you it's stop in? Can you why don't you stop into Anna Maria's and get lunch? <laughs> I, we just, I just talked about Lenny and Anna Maria's. I know Anna Maria's for those. It's unbelievable the motorcades. I mean, this is real. They're, they're stopping all the traffic. Like, someone important is on the road, and it's not me. But it's they're right by Anna Maria's where Jamie, my hairdresser, just told the story about John Thompson raveling and sending a car in there having lunch, having dinner one day. Uh-huh. And Jamie says, you got to move my car to get out. There's this big Lincoln. And he says, it's John Thompson. He says, well, is there any chance I can meet him? He says, of course. And John says, sit down, because, of course, we all know what a great person John was. He scared you when you didn't know him. And it was Sonny McConnell and George Ravling, Sonny, who's in the air movie. And he just told the story about that at Anna Maria's. God, I love you. Let's well, you know. Because I got to go. No, I got to go. Well, hold, hold on. Just, 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 just relax for a second. Uh, Lenny was, was a massive Cowboy fan, but a big-time listener to, to uh, 980 and to the shows and miss him uh, dearly and... Jesus, I mean, this is a mess with these sirens going on. Um, I'm just letting it roll. I'm not going to edit any of this thing. All right, I, I, I do... just let it roll. Let people. I'm a man amongst the real people out here. <laughs> I'm in Dupont Circle. Sorry, it's a busy of course day. you are. But those were two. That was two motorcades, and then the ambulance and everybody let them through. Okay. That was two motorcades that went by. Like that's impressive even to me. Well, one that... motorcade, one thing. That was two. So it's. I don't know who they were. Well, it might have been Biden and Kamala. Um, all right, so. I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't really want to talk about the Wizards. I know you do, and you want to talk about Corey Kispert and the whole thing. I want to talk about these NBA playoffs. Um, and I want Let's to talk, talk about, about, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. What? The, the Wizards have more of a chance than people think of this lottery. Like, all of a sudden, they got a 40% chance to move up from where they are. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and having that number of 6 or 7 versus having 9, 10, 15, but if they ever move up, Victor Wambanyama is as good a prospect I've seen since LeBron James. Right. And second, I just wanted to give everybody a do that Corey Kisper really, really loves it here. He's really improved. But, like, he's turned into, like, a real player, not just a shooter. And Kisper gives us a lot of future hope. You know, the big three is the big three. But Corey Kisper, what he did this year, deserves to get credit. It's a disaster. Not everybody always – no, it's not. It's fun. Not everybody improves the way Corey Kispert did, and he did. So I got to give Corey Kispert a lot of credit. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> I know because I we ran into each other recently. You're watching these NBA playoffs. I've been trying to describe to the casual sports fan, but hardcore football fan that listens to this podcast, that even if they don't love the NBA, that this has been great night in and night out. I want you to describe the NBA playoffs so far in your words. I would say the same thing, and I'm happy for KCP, who is a wonderful guy here, that they're moving on to the finals. He played great last night. You know, it's pretty funny. 
everyone's talking about the two eight seeds, which is the Lakers and, and, and it's Miami. And that's a little bit of a weird thing to see these two eight seeds come in. Seven but seed it's the Lakers. modern day era. Well, seven, and they're right. both from the play yeah. okay? Yeah. Which is seven through ten. Yeah. And now there's a helicopter coming over. I can't make this up. There's a helicopter coming why don't out. You right go into your hair, why don't you go into your hairdresser place? No and... way. At this, point, at this point, we're rolling it out. We're with the people. So anyway, okay. let's go focus. What do I think? I think that it's been extremely interesting that no one's talking about the Nuggets, who are clearly the best team in the West, ran away with it, and have manhandled teams and taken care of business, like and just went in there and man-rolled them 81 to 51 and a half. We all get to shut it off. I think the Durant thing made it interesting in Booker, but they had guys get hurt. I think the, the LeBron, Steph Curry, you can't ask for a better matchup than that. I think that some of the things that happened with the Grizzlies was kind of immature and nonsense, and they've dealt with it. They told Dylan Brooks not to come back. So in other words, I'm a big playing guy. Now to see the playing teams advance, what's going on in Miami with Jimmy Butler, but I like Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love being really tough veterans who have stepped up and helped that team. Now, can the Knicks go down there and win? I don't think so. The Celtics save off elimination. I love the Harden and Embiid story, but Tyrese Maxey's emerged, and Joe Mazzulla, who supposedly couldn't coach, now can coach. He can? Learning. He can? Well, he was. They're a mess to watch. A mess. They are, but they're one game away in the Boston Garden from going to the conference finals, which is very difficult to do back-to-back. My point is, I'm with you, Kevin. I find it fascinating. I think Joe Mazzulla is learning on the job he's doing well. I think Jalen Brown and Tatum are lucky that they play in such a great place like Boston where it's sold out every night. But with that, as you know, Kevin, with that, like your commanders slash Redskins, with that fan base and that rapid coverage, you know, you're going to get some criticism. But... Al Horford steadied them out, but I want to see them in Miami. This is—I just don't think there's any way the Knicks can win. I just think with 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 quickly being a little bit hurt and they don't have a star, and Pat Riley has masterfully manipulated that team to be ready for April and May, and maybe that's a way to do it. You know, if you have to rest somebody, I'm not a load management guy, but he's got a deep team. There are six guys that weren't drafted. Six guys out of their twelve weren't drafted. That's amazing. So Spolster can coach. I just like. The chess matches that are going. Sure, I want to see Giannis Antetokounmpo play. But you know when he got beat by Jimmy Butler? And he's not the first guy. Jimmy Butler is one tough dude. Yes, he and is. And him and Spolster and Pat Riley are a deadly combination. Right. Then you throw people around them, and they find a way. They're a missed jumper from going to the finals last year. Right. So I find all that stuff. Don't cry for me now, Argentina. That's the Vita. For the Cleveland Cavaliers who stink in April and May, who I like, they keep fooling me in January. Well, Riley's over there with Spolster and Butler saying, we're going to build this thing to win in the playoffs. And they've done it. And I don't, you know, Giannis, that was an off year. I know he was a little hurt. But, like, what the Heat have done, the Lakers have Vanderbilt and and Reeves have really stepped in. They don't have any money because everyone else makes so much. But it's really been a fascinating thing. And my first question to you is, if you were the Warriors, would you re-sign Clay Thompson for a max deal going forward? Because I think they have to be concerned about that. First of all, I bet he comes up big tonight, and they'll need him tonight. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he he shoots really well and, and, and goes for 30 tonight. Jordan pulls a problem. Th- this is – this is okay. Do you, do you believe that there's a third? I'm moving inside now. That's a third. That's a third. Now, now he's moving inside. That is third. Now, that's a third. 
right there. Uh, motorcade? Motorcade you know, goal, by yeah. the third one. Okay. They must know. You know I'm what? Here. Don't don't cry for me, Argentina. Um, so I. But I love the. I think the NBA is fascinating. I think, I think no one could have predicted which way it's going to go, and isn't that good? But yet, it could be the Celtics in Denver, which kind of on paper it should have been since January one. Yeah, Denver's so good. I want to. I want. I want to talk about Jokic here in a second, but. I actually, real quickly, the Celtics 76ers game last night was really hard to watch. I mean, there's just no – both teams are completely disorganized. Tatum was one for 14. I was happy that he shot you know, shot him out of it and, and forced a game seven. But I can't even think straight anymore. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's switch subjects real quickly on your way out. Uh, <laughs> this, this is utterly ridiculous that a third – Yes. We're only in Washington, so for all you listeners, uh, at least you know I'm an authentic Washington guy right now. Best rock male vocalist of all time. Now, being from Boston, I'm going to have to say Steven Tyler, mm. but I will say he's the best American male vocalist, old, new, Eddie Vedder, of course. Overall, I mean, you're talking overall. How do you take away from Mick Jagger being the best front man ever? I mean, just not just front man, of- vocalist. Difference. I know. I, I, well, that's that's that, yeah, that's a good question because well, Freddie Fre- Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Fre- Freddie Mercury's one, but Robert Plant to me is two. Well, and Led Zeppelin was the one that almost famous was actually about. You know, it was a, that's who set the stage for like the real rock bands coming. And let's face it, it wasn't Jimmy Page's outgoing personality. He was a no, weird guy. No, it wasn't. Robert. Robert Plant and Roger Daltrey were those kind of guys that, like, fronted their bands, could sing, but also could carry the whole persona, whereas Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, they were kind of a group together. You know, Keith Richards had a lot of personality and all that, but I just think as a front man, I'm going Mick Jagger. Actual vocalist, I'm going to go Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I think that's. I think vocalist is easy. It's Freddie Mercury. But to me, and the only reason I asked Jimmy this question is he sent me what he wanted the rundown on the show to be today. I won't share that with everybody. And, and I texted him back, and I and and then he said twenty to thirty minutes tops. And I texted back. Part of the discussion would be about uh, Luther Vandross, Robert Plant, and Botany, and that you'd be with me for at least 30 to 40 minutes, which, of course, I was joking. And you sent back Robert Plant, Led Zeppelin three. I love Led Zeppelin three because it's got my all-time favorite Led Zeppelin song on it, which is Tangerine. Um, Tangerine, which is the end of Almost Famous. So we can yes. talk about this, but NBA good. WNBA coming up is going to be fascinating. I think Zeladonna's going to okay. run at her for a championship. No, it's, hey, the league started. Hey, you want me to tell I, you what I'm doing? I know, w- but hey, we've got the serious. sirens going when we're talking about the NBA, but then the sirens go away when we're going to talk about the WNBA. That's, that's called well, not great saying, timing. Guys, maybe that's up to you. I think Zeladonna's <laughs> like Larry Bird. She was She's hurt. awesome. But don't you want to see her? you got to see her make one, one more run. The Hoyas have made a lot of buzz around here. I don't know what's going to work for Cooley, but he's shaking the tree. What's he? What's he DW doing? Is, Tell everybody what he's doing because uh, not everybody's following Georgetown well, basketball. He's getting a lot of transfers. He's only, he's just he's revamped the program. There, you know. Look, me and you both hang out in a lot of different places with a lot of socioeconomic. Me and you, Kevin, are the same, and that we we can range from high to low to mid to regular. And I'll take the bus. I might be in a limo. Who knows? Well. 
The Georgetown contingency is feeling, that's you, not me, but Georgetown <laughs> contingency is feeling their oats very now. Cooley has wakened them up. The Patrick Ewing era, he's a lovely man, a good player, was an utter disaster. Willard's come in. You know, they got Geronimo coming. And I'm sorry Martinez left. I think it was really poor timing on his part. But Harris Smith and Bachelor, and they got a shooter, Stevens, whose dad's from D.C. But, like, Willard won year one. Now here comes Cooley. Caputo held his own at GW. Dwayne Simpkins at AU. Kenny Blaney did a good job at Howard going the NCAA. Mason has Tony's skin. I love the college scene as a whole. Of course we're Maryland-driven. But I think that, you know, and I heard Georgetown's going to Maryland to play to start a long series, yep. which you and I both know is good for everyone. Yep. But he's got a couple transfers. There's NIL numbers that I don't know exact. I heard he may have overpaid for some players. But you know what? Ed Cooley's just trying to get them back to relevancy. you got Rick Pitino in the Big East. You know, things are changing in the Big East now. Cooley's down here who won at Providence. This is a better job. Kim English is at Providence. So it's going to be a fascinating year. And Willard has a couple local kids in Jamie Kaiser, Jonathan Lamothe, and then Harris Smith, who's an NBA player, in my opinion, from yep. politics, to go with some transfers. But most importantly, Kevin, he got Reese and Young back. The most important thing in this whole business of transfers in NIL is to keep the ones keep you like. Own. Yeah. you got to keep the good ones. It's almost like free agency in the NBA. you got to keep the ones that are productive and happy, good teammates, work hard. Then you build around. Cooley starting from scratch. I want to see how this all goes. But the fact that he's going to play Maryland, and I don't have a total confirmation on that date, although I think it's right around Thanksgiving, which is when we played them the first time in USA Arena. But the fact that Cooley and Willard can realize they need each other to pack their gyms early is really good. And, like, you know, you know, the NBA is just you, the schedule you're going to get is the schedule you're going to get. College, you can control your schedule. And I applaud these guys for doing it. And I think that Willard having one year one makes Cooley want to come in and fight even harder. And then Caputo with GW in the A-10, he's got a couple transfers, too. He's got a yeah. kid from England. He's got a transfer from Oklahoma. But it's going to be a fascinating year here in college basketball. The Wizards stuff, and I know I said my kids for stuff and all that, when they hire a new GM and they'll get it right, and when they find out where they're picking in the lottery and when they decide what they're going to do with their free agents, that could take a rise of its own, too. Now, will it be the Cleveland Cavaliers-type rise where you get there but you don't make the playoffs? Well, we'll worry about that later, but I think I'm really excited to see what the Wizards do going forward. I love Tommy Shepard. He was very nice to me. He did a good job. He was there a long time. There's new blood coming, like Ed Cooley and like George Mason. And I think our city is such a strong basketball city. Of course it is. To have new blood, to have new blood and new energy sometimes is a good thing. And remember, Will is not even a year old yet. And so I think it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch the basketball scope here in the next year. It's going to be great to see, but it's going to be very unpredictable. And I got the Wizards going to the playoffs next year. Which, how did we get? How did we get to them? We were just talking about college basketball. Um, by the way, well, I got the, I, 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 I got know, the, I, I know what you do. I know what you do. And you, I got the turf. I got the turf going the NCAA. Well, of the course, rest, I don't know. But did you see Ian Martinez is hitting the portal? That was a surprise. Yeah, it was. It was a surprise about the timing. Like he stayed yeah, through weird. summer school and did workouts. But if anybody tries to figure out these kids today, yeah, and Ian no. Martinez has to sit out. And his, you know, he's from Costa Rica. He's one of the first, you know, potential right. NBA guys from there. I don't know anything. He's always lovely to me. I thought he gave him good minutes off the bench. From an outsider, Donald Carey left 
the starting two guards positions open, Hakeem Hart left, the starting three guard positions open, and you were playing 18 minutes and you leave, I find that a little that that's where that's where I don't miss coaching. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, he actually was going to have a chance to play a lot of minutes on a team that should be preseason, you know, top 25 and be an NCAA tournament team. I won't ask you about Hunter Dickinson uh, at this point. Who really cares? Um, thanks for doing this. Uh, it just quieted down, but I got a roll. You got a roll, and I'll talk to you soon. You're the greatest. Let's be in touch. Let's talk during the finals when Boston's at Denver for game five of the two-to-two series. Might Love be, you. Bye. Might be Miami. See ya. All right, that is that is it for the day. Uh, I do apologize for all of the sirens. I'm not even going to edit any of that stuff out because I think some of it you can hear. And it's Jimmy. It's always unpredictable. It's like a box of chocolates. Uh, all right, that's it. Back on Monday. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.